It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Well, hello, everyone uh, out there in podcast land. We want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast. We are grateful that you have made us part of your day. Jim, the shirt says, a lot can happen in three days. Yeah, the beard can grow in three days. So the beard continues, and uh, we're coming up on Easter. We're in our brand new studio. We are so thankful and so blessed as a congregation. And if you enjoy this podcast, please thank the guides, give them a hug, and thank them for uh, allowing us to have this space. And uh, we had our first official picture in, in studio, so I expect that uh, Kathy will post that. Great. Yeah, no, we're, this is a great uh, location for us, a little bit of a change. We had been in, a, in an apartment, and uh, now we're in a, in a house where things are moving up, and uh, we have a, a great office space here. So it's been uh, very, very great to have the hospitality uh, that is displayed in our, in our church family. Uh, well, today we have another opportunity uh, to get to know people in our church, and so we have another interview episode today. Uh, we've we've really enjoyed them. Uh, we think they are uh, one of the great parts of this podcast format, and, and we thought that it would be a good thing to start with um, getting to know our deacons, and it's, we want you to get to know our deacons, and uh, as well as other folks in our church, we'll, we'll be adding more interviews as time goes on. Uh, these are great opportunities to get to know people, to understand their background, their testimonies, uh, who they are, their interests, and um, it allows us to get to know them in, in a way that um, is is really helpful for us as we get to know and love the body. It, and hopefully, again, it stimulates you to want to get to know them more. Perhaps you hear things of interest that you want to know more about or that you have a common interest in. And, and these are opportunities to establish friendships and service and different things like that in the body. And even just for an example, um, just this week, actually, uh, our guest on the podcast uh, and and his wife, my mom, uh, they took a couple uh, that's getting married in a couple weeks out to dinner and had a, had a good time. And those are those are really good things. We were just talking about that the other day. Uh, that it, it's really valuable that that people of different backgrounds, different ages, different stations of life. One couple is about to get married. Uh, another couple has been married for over forty years, and they're having dinner together. Those are really good things, and we want these types of interviews and conversations to stimulate those types of relationships and interactions. And we talk about this all the time. This is this is by far my favorite part of the podcast format. Is it's for the church, and they get to know the church by interviewing the church. So. I just absolutely love these. I'm so excited to have Mark here, and I'm sure everyone will be blessed as we will be blessed by going through this. And you're right, Danny, we're blessed as a church. We've got a great blend of older people, mid-aged people, and younger people. Five weddings and four babies in two or three months, I think is what it is. So, you know, we're going to grow through Dominion. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a great thing. So, uh, yes, the uh, interviewee today is uh, my dad. Uh, and deacon at TFBC, Mark Steinmeier. So, Dad, we want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, let's begin with uh, this time together. We want to start with um, just asking you about uh, your your testimony and uh, your background, and we'll uh, we'll jump in. I, I happen to know you, so it makes it easier to uh, prompt you and probe you for some answers or some. Uh, stories or different things like that. And so um, would you just start off with uh, your background? Well, I was um, raised in a Christian family and um, my dad was definitely the spiritual leader in our house. Um, my mother was the the one who taught us how to love the scriptures, though. She was uh, an avid Bible reader, Bible studier, and she taught that love to 
me for sure. Um, and uh, she certainly certainly was an example to us, um, to my brother and sister as well. <clears throat> and I attended a, a Christian school that I loved attending. I, um, I certainly heard the gospel there and certainly responded to it. I um, very vividly remember my confirmation and getting in front of the church and being asked, what is it that you believe? <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, um, that having to respond with uh, those answers um, and what I believe and, and why I believe it. And I took it very seriously and uh, um, certainly uh, looked to those years as uh, fondness in my relationship with the, the Lord. And so when you say confirmation, some people hear confirmation and will translate that as Catholic. Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, so would you have a little clarification on that? Yes, I was raised in a Lutheran church, and it was a very sound, conservative Lutheran church, and um, uh, was taught uh, the scriptures, and um, particularly what I remember most from those days in, in Christian school is scripture memory and learning how to memorize scripture. Um, that I think is one of the biggest things I took out of that Christian school. Um, I learned how to memorize in, in, in the Christian school. That helped me through um, my college years. My college degree is in zoology and that's just nothing but memorization. And so I was very good at memorization. And I look back to those years in uh, Christian school when I learned that talent, that ability, um, and God certainly used that in, in, to, uh, in a large way in my life. Well, and also just in your family background as well, um, tell me about your grandfather. Well, he was a pastor, um, and he was a very um, large figure in, in, in my life, in my dad's life. Um, uh, he was so, he had such a booming voice, and when he preached, they didn't, back those, in those days, they didn't have all the uh, microphones that we had, but his voice just boomed throughout the whole church, and it was a rather large church, and um, I can still remember hearing him, I could, I was so impressed with his, him and his, and his preaching, I could just, uh, just admired him, and I know my dad did too. Uh, he always talked about what dad said and what dad taught him, and it was real important to him. And uh, um, he was uh, a big figure, big influence in my dad's life, and consequently through him to us. And I love these testimonies. Again, you, you've got the God working through his normative means. We talk about this all the time, Danny, and and your father growing in the faith and confirming what he believes. Not a feeling, not an event. It's a confirmation of God in his life, and that is such a great testimony. And as we grow and as we have children that are growing, this is this is the normative way that it should happen. I mean, this is, again, God works through all things, but I love this testimony, and it's so important for parents to hear this for their children. You're not looking for a magical event or something that happened. That does happen, and it happened to me. But my testimony is is not about that. It's about God moving and taking me forward in sanctification. And that's what we're hearing from Mark is that continued normative growth, confirming what he believes, that he loves the things of God and hates the things of the world. Well, and there's this multi-generational factor. I think a lot of people, even today, we, we've, we talk about it in our church, but I think a lot of people don't understand that it's possible. They don't understand that it actually happens. And perhaps it's not seen enough. But um, this is, again, another one of those formats. So this would be my great-grandfather to his son, to my dad, to me, to my children, and hopefully to my children's children and on. That's a, that's a legacy. That's a, that's, and that's not on us. That's the Lord's kindness um, and his work in us as we seek to be obedient and to pass on the faith from generation to generation. And so that element of long-term generational impact 
it's possible and we're living we're living that as a family one of the things just a, a little aside before we get back to uh, dad's testimony here one of the things just about <clears throat> a remarkable thing about our family so just speaking about from my grandfather um to his three children dad being the the youngest of three and then to my cousins uh, all of us have intact marriages there's not there's not a, a divorce in in my in my in what i would say is my dad's side of the family underneath my my grandfather and i don't know all the history of the rest of the family but um just god's kindness and his grace to us in that way that uh that we would have all everybody in our side my dad's side of the family professes faith in christ and has intact families and households my even to my cousins and that's a that's a remarkable thing and it's it seems unusual but the Lord does do these things. Yeah, and that's normative. Again, I go back to the covenant of marriage and how important that is. And, you know, I'm blessed to have that. My parents are married 63 years, and Judy and I are coming up on 35, and my brother is still married to his wife. And so there's there's normative in that, and that's that's something that you anchor yourself around. So Yeah, no, that's good. Well, let's get back to uh, your testimony and Dad. So growing up in a Christian home, uh, you're, you went to a Christian school, and uh, you identified your beliefs and faith in, in the Lord and in, in, in his word uh, at an early age. And so you talked about the impact of uh, your your mom. When it comes to just growing up in that household, uh, what was that like for you? What were some of your interests? What what, what were you involved in? Any uh, any things in terms of your, your background and upbringing? Well, in terms of the family, I <clears throat> look with fondness back to the um, my... Uh, junior junior high and high school years uh where um i would get up every morning and our, and my mom would um her and i would read the scripture together and then pray together before going to school and that's just the way it was um and i loved it and uh, uh and looked forward to that and that was just a real example to me that i carried over into our family that um you may recall when we did send you to a public school, I woke you up in the morning and and the, your brothers, and before you were going to go to a public school, you were going to read scripture and pray with me. And that really started out with my mom and, and I. And uh, that had a big impact in my life. And I certainly wanted to try to... Um, to model that in my own my own family good no that's that's been an important uh, foundation for uh for our family of course all growing up let's uh speak about some other just uh elements of of your life so you grew up uh playing some sports as i recall <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a big part of my life um from little on and i happened to be pretty good at it and um uh, through high school, I had the privilege of playing for one of the best coaches that ever coached the game. He's in the uh, high school uh, hall of fame um, as a coach. Um, and he was good because he, he always taught us uh, this isn't just a game of basketball, this is a game of life. And that's the way he approached it. And um, uh, he taught us principles. Uh, and hard hard work um self sacrifice discipline um he was uh, and i was just thinking through as i was thinking about uh, what i'd say about this and i re just remember one particular example in my high school career and it was in a <clears throat> it was in a basketball practice it was a, a it was just a practice session and on our team, we were not a um, big team. We were kind of a small team, and yet we were a, a, a powerhouse in Southern California. Um, and so we had to play well as a team. Uh, if we didn't play well as a team, we lost. And uh, so that was a big thing to stress. And one of the things that we were, it was just expected of us to do when, uh, when I made a basket or when another player made a basket, they were to turn around and thank the person that gave them the pass. Um, <clears throat> and you think that's kind of a little thing, and I didn't probably didn't take it as seriously as I 
should have too, because one time in practice, I scored a basket, started heading back, and it was a scrimmage, and I didn't say thank you to the guy who pa passed me the ball. And, you know, I was, I was kind of the star of the team. That didn't matter. Um, practice stopped. Uh, I've never been chewed out as, <laughs> as badly than that. Um, and he said, who do you think you are? And, um, and he says, he pointed to the door and says, there's the door. If you can't acknowledge who gave you the pass that allowed you to score the basket. Um, you know, that had a huge impact in my life. I can remember it to this day. But um, that showed his uh, commitment to principle as well. I was his best player, and he said, you don't uh, acknowledge others. You can't play for me. Um, that was that was a big thing, and that's kind of that's the the some of the the aspects of what you can learn from sports, the principles that you can. Um, I know that in today's world, it's so individualized, and people just say, "Look at me and uh, and uh, how wonderful I am." Um, but that's not the way sports was meant to be. It's certainly not a team sport. It certainly was not the way that. Uh, I was raised and or brought up in, in high school and coached, and I'm uh, eternally grateful for that that uh, coaching that I had, and certainly that had an impact on the way I dealt with my children as well. <laughs> well, those are great godly attributes, right? I mean, yeah. discipline, hard work, thankfulness. And imagine if Caring the coach, for others. yeah, and imagine if the coach didn't correct you, you'd have scored, and you'd have been in an end zone dance like uh, the NFL players, all about them and yeah. bringing attention to themselves. And that's that's not what it's about. So no, that's that, that's true. And uh, and and playing, for, just highlighting that element of that uh, of that coach. Uh, he coached for a lot of years, and uh, I just remember even the impact that you. Uh, shared with us as kids growing up, just the 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 way that he his door was always open. Uh, he was certainly a, a a mentor. Many of these other you know players and and kids throughout the years didn't have good family situations, and so he was one who would uh, really seek to be a, a mentor and one who who cared for people. And so the opportunity to be that in a coaching situation and environment, um, and having that responsibility um, is a is a valuable thing the impact that you can have can be huge sports is, is one of those huge opportunities like that oh and so much learning through multi-generational through having different people at different stages that have different experiences and speaking those things into other people's lives both the good things and the bad is so important yeah well then you also uh so you play basketball you also played baseball um yeah baseball was really my first love and um but in high school, because of this coach, uh, he really turned me into a basketball player. And uh, then I went on to college with a basketball scholarship and also to play baseball, but um, it was a basketball scholarship. And so I went to Oklahoma State and, and played there. Um, how did you end up at, I mean, Southern California, how in the world did you end up at Oklahoma State? Well, um, I it was it was a difficult period to, to determine where I was going to go to college. Um, there was some people who were interested, um, but uh, I like who? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I remember seeing a shoebox. Yeah, of did you see that shoebox? Yeah, yeah, back, I, at, I, back at one of our I, houses when we moved. Yeah, it's probably gone. It's now. gone now. <laughs> but yeah, I saved all the letters I had from UCLA and Johnny Wooden. And uh, USC and um, didn't Bobby uh, Knight. Bobby uh, Knight would send me a letter every day. I got tired of get, uh, coming home from school and getting a letter from Bobby Knight. Talk about discipline. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's why he was recruiting me because he knew the coach that coached me, and um, that's that's exactly why he he uh, sent me a letter every day. He wanted wanted me because he knew who my coach was, and. Uh, um, I even had letters from Harvard and Yale and and um, a lot of schools. So it was a shoebox full. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
but I went to Oklahoma State because um, I had a military draft number of number six. And in those days, they had put in the lottery just uh, a year or two before I went to college. And um, my draw was number six. And so I had to do something about the military. So what does that mean then? If you're, if you're number six, what does, that, what does that generally mean if you have a draft number of that? It pretty much meant that you were going to be drafted. Yeah. And so if I, I wanted to go to school and um, without going into the military first, without getting drafted, then uh, I needed to do something about the military. And so there was, um, Oklahoma State was really, came down to the only school that uh, had a ROTC program that I could be in as well as they wanted me to play basketball and baseball. So those three things um, made the decision pretty clear that Oklahoma State was the the school to go to. And the ROTC program there was uh, another learning experience and it was a very good learning experience. I enjoyed it actually. It was an excellent program that they had there at that school. And um, I, I did that for a year and then they, uh, then Nixon at that time uh, ended the draft, and so there was there was no obligation then after that. And then uh, I talked to the ROTC people and and said, you know, I just I'm not thinking that this is where I want my career to be. They were very gracious. They understood that we want people who are um, wanting to uh, make this a career, and so um, I. Uh, bowed out of the program after the first year and then attended there for the the four years. So after the first year, that military obligation had disappeared, but that's what got me to Oklahoma State. So just a a measure of providence that as things happened in the the country and in the nation regarding the military, that ordered and directed your life to a place that you would have probably never have, (laughs) you'd never have chosen or done on your own, and yet that led you to uh, to that school. So you already mentioned earlier that you studied zoology um, at, at uh, Oklahoma State. And what was your thinking in, in terms of choosing that as a major? I don't hear many people choose zoology today. What was your thoughts yeah. back then? Well, I was pre-med and that just um, turned out to be the degree that uh, um, I uh, obtained in addition to meeting all the pre-med requirements. And uh, it also turned out to be very, very heavy in chemistry. So I had zoology classes, and and I would have actually gotten a chemistry degree, but it turned out that because I was pre-med, most of the chemistry classes I had, which were a lot, uh, were not chemistry degree accredited. Um, They were for pre-med chemistry, and so Hmm. um, I couldn't uh, couldn't apply those to the degree, so I I just got a degree in zoology. And that ended up with a career in chemistry. Yeah, right. pro- probably helps you today with the world. I mean, the world without Christ is a zoo out there. So <laughs> <laughs> you're well prepared, Mark. Right? <laughs> well, and so, uh, so you're at Oklahoma State studying zoology, and um, you're playing both basketball and baseball. Uh, maybe just uh, maybe just a couple of quick stories about that because those had big impacts on your life, and um, you know maybe. Uh, how did your basketball career go and maybe why it didn't go in some fashion the way it could have or you would have liked to? And then also uh, the the impact of a certain uh, slide or lack thereof yeah. uh, in baseball. So, Well, um, basketball, I'll try to be as quickly quick as this as I can. Um, my freshman year was... Um, an amazing year. Uh, it turned out to be uh, kind of a storybook type of uh, year where um, I wasn't able to start for certain reasons. I don't know if we want to go into those uh, Maybe not all of them. Re- reasons. Um, but uh, come to the end of the year, we were not doing that well. And, and I, I got a chance to play. Uh, I was put into uh, uh, game versus the University of Colorado. They were in first place. We were in last place. And um, I got put in with about 
less than a minute and the goal in the game and I scored four points and we won by two. Hmm. <laughs> That's great. So I thought I, I finally made it. So the next game was against the first place team that Colorado had lost. So they were no longer in first place. It was the University of Kansas. And uh, uh, I was put in that game early on and I turned out to be the high point man for that game, and uh, uh, we beat them. And that was our only two conference wins of the year. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. Um, and uh, you know, the second year, they had fired the coach then after the first year because we were a last place team. They brought in a new coach. He brought in his um, own player. To, and so I was on the bench again the, the following year but had the best year of my life uh, statistically but wasn't able to start um but uh, but then my in baseball I, uh, we went down to louisiana the first game we played in uh, the louisiana state university and a kid came in i was playing shortstop he came in standing up to, to purposely take me out of a double play and he did it uh, for the year um, he took my knee out and I ended up having surgery and I was out for the entire year. Um, and so that also put me out of basketball too. Um, that, that, but I was able to play baseball for the, the remainder of my four years at Oklahoma state after that, uh, my, um, junior and senior year, but, uh, basketball was done and, uh, I enjoyed baseball a lot there at Oklahoma State. It was a good level of, to play. Amazing. We were talking about that Mark at breakfast about his knee surgery. Today, they don't even do surgery on it anymore. It's amazing how yeah. medicine is, has gained in technology such that they don't even operate on that anymore. And back then, those were mostly career-ending surgeries. They yep. were, you know, to, to have you play ba ba baseball after that is truly amazing. So, Yeah, I was fortunate to have... Um, uh, yeah, the Lord was good to me, and I was had a really good trainer who worked with me to bring that that knee back. So, well, just uh, I, I wanted to highlight the sports elements of uh, just because it, I think there was a big part of your life, and yet um, that's didn't become a career. But yet, I just we'll move on from the from the sports here in just a moment. But you already highlighted a little a little bit of that element of of the perseverance, the teamwork the lessons that are learned there's value in the discipline and the and, and the joy of of using the human body um to stretch the limits to uh, perform consistently to excel to be able to see what you can do whether it's throwing hard or hitting far or running fast um those are are just elements of the expression of the image of god in our, our bodies and to do that even with also competitively i think competition it gets a bad rap among christians a lot um but i think there is a value there we're, we won't have time for all of that here today but um just sports being a, a big part of your life and then that became a big part of our family's life growing up as as a kid i played baseball that was uh that was my sport and then um my brothers as well both went to college. Um, two, two of my brothers went to college playing baseball, and and just the um, just the elements of sports we they were a big part of our family. So, um, just uh, appreciate that part. But I want to move forward here in uh, your uh, story of of your life and and so forth. Um, you get a degree in zoology, and you come back to California. Um, I think you found uh, Oklahoma less than. Uh, desirable as a place to to live. Somewhere along there, you um, you meet mom. Maybe that would be the next place to to kind of start, and then let's get into your um, a little bit of your career. Yeah, well, I do think that the, my career at Oklahoma State played a, a role in even meeting your mother because um, you know, things did not go well uh, with the knee surgery. I went in there with great expectations, and they had great expectations for me, and I ended up coming out pretty crippled and humbled um, and just wanting to really get back to California and just kind of really start my life over again because it was uh, it hadn't gone well for me in, in Oklahoma and the Christmas before uh, in my senior year I came home and a 
I had always kept in touch with uh, a group from the that Christian school that I went to, and they called me up and said, uh, "We're going out tonight. Do you want to go with us?" And I said, "Okay." And in that group was uh, a pretty little girl named Kathy, and um, so I met her then, and uh, then went back to school and thought that that probably was the last time I would ever see her. And came home from school pretty low and pretty dejected, pretty humbled. And um, then uh, it turned out that one of Kathy's friends was doing a little bit of matchmaking and kind of put the bug in my mom's ear that that, there, that Kathy Solberg wasn't dating anybody. Uh, just kind of wanted to let you know. <laughs> and so I took that and ran and, and uh, um, I... Uh, called her up and asked her if she wanted to go to church. And that was our really kind of our first date then. And, um, and so we grew up in that church together right from the moment I got back from Oklahoma State. And um, Do you want to go to church? That's so romantic. I know. I know. It, uh, <laughs> that was our... That I wanted... That was important to me. Sure. At that, that time, I knew that that was... Um, crucial and and uh, you know that that uh, also goes back to the the um, what had happened to me in college. Uh, I was I did not find any. I was discouraged with churches in Oklahoma, and we could go into that. Uh, you know that was that really gets into the era of what was going on in the church during those days. And I was not impressed with what was going on with all the emotion and the, the all, all that stuff that was um, uh, going on. And I, I came home and my brother asked me to go to his church, which uh, um, was Chuck Swindoll was the pastor at that church. And he preached expositionally. And I had never gotten so excited about going to church in all my life. It was just, that was just beyond my expectations. And I was just ex excited that. And that's why I wanted, it, if I'm going to ask, be interested in a girl, I wanted her to be interested in this church because mm -hmm. this, is, this was important to me. And um, that played a. a Chuck Swindoll, in his preaching in those early days, he was very expositional, and um, he is a, a great expositional preacher when he um, sticks to that format, and um, had a great impact on our lives, both mine and your mom's. I remember those green folders on the bookshelf, where at one point you had, uh, as I recall, you said you had every sermon that uh, that Chuck Swindoll had ever preached on tape. Yep. I, I bought every single sermon he ever preached, and I listened to him two and three and more times over. Uh, I remember listening to some of those myself. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Well, that's uh, so that's pretty pretty neat. We'll just say the rest is history. Uh, I guess at this point, um, on uh, you you clearly married her, and uh, and yeah, the rest is is history. On that, we'll we'll move forward on, on that uh, for right now. You uh, come back from college, you've met a girl, you've uh, found a good church, things are starting to look up, and you, um, and you begin your career. Uh, just talk to us about where you ended up uh, going to work. Well, when I came back from school, the first place I applied was uh, Union Oil Company of California Research Center in, in Brea, and I got the job. And I worked there for the next 19 and, and plus years, 19 and a half plus years. And um, I worked in the analytical chemistry laboratory. I started out as a technician, and within five years, I was put in charge of um, uh, a distillation laboratory uh, and stayed there for uh, another 10 years before um, I moved on from there. But um, from the day one, the computers were just coming into the labs. Uh, we had a big old... 40 programmable step calculator in the laboratory. And I was just attracted to that and uh, learned how to program that. Before too long, I was put in charge of programming all the, uh, those 
at first it was the programmable calculators, and then I moved into com, uh, the progr computer programs, and I was in charge of all the programs for all the labs in, in the research center. And so when did you graduate from college? And so when did you start this job? That was at 19, 1976. And I started July 5th, 1976. And, uh, um, as I said, I, I, I really got into the com computer, uh, aspect of it <clears throat> and, uh, eventually went back to get a master's in information, well, business with an emphasis in information systems. And that really was, then after 10 years in the laboratory, then I was moved to um, information management specialist in, in the research center. And that's where I got my fingers into everybody's business because I was uh, in dealing with computers and information, information systems. And um, that uh, just, uh, I, I knew what was going on in the research center because of that. And sometimes that even, got me into places where uh, I'd never expected to even be in high exec meetings because they were asking questions about what was going on with the information and so forth. So um, that was, that was uh, an interesting time as well. So if you're out there getting <laughs> gas someday, and uh, not, not in Idaho, but if you're in California, I know they're in uh, Washington, I don't know if they're in Oregon, but I know, definitely know they're in Washington and in California. When you see the big old orange with a 76 on it, that's, uh, that's Unical. That's the oil company that, uh, that, you, that you worked for. So um, a, a familiar brand of, of gasoline. Uh, the, they, they sponsor the Dodgers and the Mariners, I, I, I see quite a bit. So those are uh, uh, just some, some tidbits there. So you worked there from 1976 to 1995. You were married in 1978. And the best thing that ever happened to you is uh, that I was born in uh, 1979. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so during this um, period of time, you're working at the laboratory. Um, but why did, why did your career at Unical um, end in 1995? What was, what was happening at that point? Um, <clears throat> the, our research center was the largest research center on the West Coast. And we were very successful in our research. So successful that we had outgrown uh, our ability to, to cover the liability of what we uh, had developed. So uh, we actually had to sell off all our, our research to Union Carbide because they were a much bigger company that could handle the liability of some of the stuff that we, our technology was in every refinery in the world. And, but we couldn't handle if a refinery blew up or we could handle one or two, but um, we couldn't handle uh, the liability. So we, uh, the research was sold off to um, Union Carbide and we were all laid off. Um, and so that's when uh, my career took a, a turn. We decided to start a school and we started a, we actually had wanted to and looked in very intently on starting a, a boys' school because I could already look around and see the aimlessness of uh, young males in our culture and our neighborhoods. And I just thought there's a need for um, men to learn how to become men. Uh, and I had four boys, and I thought... Uh, that gave me a, a good training ground for that. You felt like you knew what you were doing. I think I thought I could, could maybe help in that area. But we were not allowed to in the state of California. So we started a Christian day school uh, co-ed. And uh, we did that in 1995, 1996, and got that school off the ground and started. That was a wonderful year. That was, it was a difficult year. Um, but it was certainly, uh, I, I look back to that, those years with fondness or that year that was, um, I hated to see that end. Um, but after a year, it was clear that that was not, uh, the direction that the Lord wanted for us. And so, uh, we handed that 
over to another person who had more experience in running schools than I did, and that's what really that they were looking for, even though we had a, a wonderful uh, first year um, beyond people's, it, it, it was it was beyond all our expectations. The Lord really worked in that, and we saw just wonderful, wonderful things in that, that year um, beyond what we even thought we could possibly do. Um, but then I went on to then to teach in a Christian high school. Oh, no, hold on, okay. hold on, hold on. All right, hold on. <laughs> that was a big part of your life, too. Well, so, all right, so I I attended um, I attended that school then. I, that was my that was my uh, 10th grade year at the private school, um, at our church school. And we I, I always refer to that as a, uh, it was a glorified homeschool because it was K through 12, 40 kids. Well, it ended up 60 when we were done. At the end of the, oh, at the end of the year, we, the we did pick year, up a number at the semester. At, at day one, it was forty. By the end of the year, it was sixty. And, and but it was uh, still small. Yeah, still small school. It's K through twelve. Yeah, and um, and so it came to an end after uh, that point. But there was a transition there um, where <clears throat> now you're you, you've resigned from the school. You're now unemployed. You you got a severance package from the uh, from the oil company in your layoff. So that's one of the buffers that allowed you to um, go out and and take a risk in terms of trying something new. You had uh, some severance from from the oil company, but now you're unemployed with a family of, of five children. Um, what did what did we do, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was looking for work, and while I was looking for work, I was noticing that my uh, boys, um, who I had uh, encouraged before that, the, starting off uh, down the the sidewalk in the neighborhood with their lawnmowers and their uh, trimmers to the neighbors to mow the neighbors' lawns, and they had uh, Danny and uh, Jimmy, the second oldest, and I don't know if Brian was involved at that time. They had their own little lawn business going in the neighborhood, and I don't know, I think we had 12. 12, 12 customers in the neighborhood. They just go from neighbor to neighbor. And I thought, well, I'm looking for work, but I, I could help them uh, do that. And so I started helping them, and then uh, we started adding uh, people, uh, customers. Um, and it wasn't long. It was a, uh, within a few months. We had gone from 1,200 to uh, 12 to a hundred and what is it? Thirteen, a hundred and thirteen customers, uh, and um, so we had a very thriving lawn care business up and going, and uh, that was a good experience for me to work alongside with of you. We had the opportunity to to teach you. And I think by the end of our business, you guys were um, complaining that I wasn't keeping up. <laughs> uh, but, uh, they, but it was an, a good opportunity for me to teach my boys uh, how to work and how to work hard. And that they and really it supplied that. the needs for our family. Yes. Uh, it, 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 it put literally food on the table. And it was something to where we worked together. Um, just a, a quick highlight of the reality of having um, a, a large family. And some people think that the a large number of children is simply uh, a burden, simply an expense. But really, as we got a little bit older, um, we really began to contribute. And uh, actually, the participation of the, the reality of having three uh, three sons that were involved in the business at first. Andrew was was too young at that point. Uh, we actually helped to um, to support the family, and we did it together. And it was a family uh, effort, and th that was a valuable time in the life of our family. And so, uh, but moving forward, uh, we you made some additional efforts uh, to move beyond the the lawn business. Uh, I remember one of the things that you thought about though was. Um, that, that you were seeking to have the primary responsibility to fall on you and not on, on your children, but at the, uh, because there was other things that you wanted your kids to be interested in and to be able to do with some freedom. And so you moved on and that's when you said, 
uh, a minute ago. You, you teased it. You jumped over the lawn mowing and you went straight to being a teacher. Um, and uh, maybe you could uh, talk about that for a little for a few minutes. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, one of the, we had did that for a year or two, and then um, I had taken a job to teach at night at college, teaching uh, information systems. Um, and so I did that for a year, and then I got a job at the a Christian high school in Riverside uh, to teach chemistry and biology. And so I did that for um, a, a couple of years. Um, they have I have all number of stories on that. Do you have any? Uh, no, any we can. Particular uh, actually, that? I probably want to take you in a different direction. So you, you you're a you're a science teacher for high school. I'm just kind of going through the the breadth and the 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 depth of your career and kind of where the Lord has uh, has taken you. Uh, after being a teacher, we'll just kind of move forward because I want to touch on another element here. You ended up, um, strangely, it would seem, uh, kind of off the beaten path. You're, you're now, uh, in 1999, you're at a nursing home, and you're not a resident. You're not a you're 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 not you're not admitted. Uh, what are you doing at a nursing home in 1999? Well, I was I was hired as an information systems director, and uh, they were having real problems with uh, their finances. Uh, not so much at that time with um, pluses and minuses, but just the, the, the systems in general. And so uh, I came in there and... What did they hire you at? What was your salary in 1999? Oh, man. Uh, they, it was a small company, so they couldn't afford to hire me. I said, I'll come to work for you for 30000 a year. In California. Yeah. In 1999 with a family of five <laughs> children. I hope you guys were still mowing lawns. We were. We were. We were. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> I'm looking at Danny. <laughs> no, we all were. We all were. We all were. Yeah. And uh, Saturdays. So, yeah, I started at 30000 a year. Um, and But I I just wanted my foot in the door because I, I could see this had opportunity. This was uh, going to be easy to prove myself. And I was able to, within the, the first few months there, I replaced the, the payroll system that essentially paid for my salary the first year. So they recognized that. And within, um, within a year, I was, well, by the time I was a nursing administrator, I'm not exactly certain, it was that 2000 or something like that, I was um, in six figures. Um, so that's a pretty fast rise in, for, for a person. You ended up running the place. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I want to just touch on that for a minute. Um, a lot of, we've been talking about a lot of the facts and a lot of the history here, but, um, one of the things that I know has impacted me and, um, from, from your history in, in your career is your care and, and appreciation for the older generation and for respecting your elders and your parents um, and the reality of what nursing homes are. And uh, maybe just kind of talk to what you learned or and what you kind of grew to appreciate in that particular part of your career. Oh, I did love working for the seniors. And, and because I played the piano, uh, I would take every, any opportunity, any free time and just go down and play for them. And the reactions I would get from them were just absolutely amazing. Um, that because I at that time by that time I was only playing hymns, and um, to see the reaction of these seniors to that was um, it, it was beyond uh, words really. And uh, for example, I think I've shared one. At Christmas, I was asked to play for an Alzheimer's uh, facility, and I came in there, and this was a group that was, um, uh, they were, they could not even communicate with um, people with language, but when I started to play the piano, they started singing the hymns, and uh, we all started looking at each other and said, what is going on here? And... Um, they couldn't communicate hard. Well, they could communicate, but couldn't talk. 
but they knew the hymns and they started singing the hymns. And then I went to the second verse, they started singing the second verse. And I said, I don't even know the words to the second verse. <laughs> and they're singing and the, the staff, we, <laughs> this was an amazing thing. We were looking at each other with our jaws dropped and this, what's, what's going on here? And the memories that that, that brought out of them was just, and I saw things like that, um, stories like that, uh, a number of them, where um, the emotion that those playing the hymns brought out of those seniors was uh, truly uh, something to see that I had, I what didn't expect, but um, certainly remember and appreciate. Uh, they they loved those hymns and to a large degree felt um, lonely or abandoned because the people weren't singing those hymns anymore. Such a beautiful story, Mark, and hearing them remember those things and actually begin speaking and singing those. And Danny, you and I talked about this at Shelley's funeral, how as a church in America or even in the world, we don't do death well. And we do end of life even worse. Does that make sense? So we, we isolate, we put them in homes. We don't want to know what's going on there. Again, there are circumstances. I understand that. But, you know, as a whole, I think there's great lessons that we can learn through this and and frankly, just do better. And that's part of what I'm getting at here, too, is the uh, the recognition that you brought home from these uh, circumstances as being a nursing home administrator as a Christian. This was a um, quasi-Christian uh, nursing home facility. So these people did have, did have the, the background, of course, in, in the church. But um, that element of dignity, respect, caring for the uh, elderly, the, the scripture has a lot to say about that. And so those are uh, some values I know that you were um, taught and, or at least had further established, and that those were things that um, I recall that you um passed along to us. So you were at a nursing home uh, as an administrator. You ended there in 2005. And we'll just finish up your career um, stuff here in, in a moment. Uh, you went ended up at Kaiser Permanente. Um, and that's where you finished your career. Um, maybe just talk briefly about what that was, um, what that was all about for you and, and how that came to a close when you retired. Well, I worked there for 12 years. And I was uh, in charge of the electronic medical records system for the um, uh, hospice and home health um, applications, and we were kind of on the ground floor uh, in developing those those applications. And my job was really to work between the uh, the vendor, which was Epic, uh, and the end user, who um, doctors and nurses, doctors and nurses who who They'd use it and they say, this needs to change, this needs to change. And so I was the, um, the kind of the go-between, in-between all that and and then testing all that out and, and making sure it all worked and so, so forth. So it just, uh, just kind of struck me here. You um, start off as pre-med and, uh, and then you get into science, then you get into computers, and, and now you're working in a hospital system uh, telling doctors uh, what to do <laughs> or what not to do or helping them. So you didn't end up as a as a doctor, but you still ended up with the hospital system and you're working with doctors just in a different capacity. Yep, that's true. That's an interesting one. Well, uh, we want to move forward and, uh, and, and talk a little bit about um, education a little bit and your education background. You already mentioned your uh, private school background. Um, you went to a public uh, high school. And, uh, but go talk to us a little bit about um, the importance and, and your consideration of education and um, thinking through education Christianly, some of the principles and some of the decisions that you decided to make for yourself and for our family. Again, you sought to have a boys' home. You started a Christian school. Um, I was public schooled, homeschooled, and private schooled. Maybe just talk a little bit about the history of our of you, your our family, and uh, your views of education. Well, I think it started out back there in the Christian school that I went to, and uh, when I came out of that and went to a public school, it was culture shock for me. And although I did well in the public school, um, I 
did not do well in a certain sense, um, that um, I could see the hostility towards Christianity immediately. Uh, back then, in, I was in ninth grade, and, and I did not like going, having to read what we had to read. I can still remember reading 450, Fahrenheit 451 and some other, um, later on, I think more in high school and college, it was um, uh, The Population Bomb by Paul Ehrlich. And uh, those those were those books were an attack on Christianity, um, but the teachers also were hostile. I, I had a science teacher that said, "Don't don't bring anything up about creation. Evolution is a fact. Um, just get over it, and we'll just go on from there." That was um, a, a lot of years ago, and it certainly wasn't fact. Um, but that's the the, and I didn't like that. Uh, I I I determined right then, uh, way back then, that um, I did not, if I got married and, and sent my kids to school, I did not want them to have to go through this. And um, so I purposed uh, early on in high school that my family was going to, if I had kids, they were going to go to a Christian school. And so that was that was actually part of what we talked about before we got married with, with Kathy, that that would have to be a priority for her too. Public school was not an option for us um, from the, from the get-go. Um, and I could just see what was going on and the trends already. And um, a lot of people see that, say that, well, it's gotten really bad in years, in just recent years. But I felt like that, that trend had started when I was in it, which is back in the um, late 60s and 70s. You don't just fall off a cliff. You walk a path to the cliff, right? So yeah. uh, you were seeing that uh, back then. So this yeah. was, um, as you do have, you start having kids, this is uh, this is the 1980s. And so um, interestingly, uh, you had that commitment, but uh, as the oldest, I was the guinea pig in some manner. And so kindergarten, I'm in public Kindergarten. Right. Well, by that, um, I went to a public kindergarten. I thought, that was fine. I was okay. I could what, do that. what can happen there? Yeah, what can happen there? Um, but the uh, there was no intention at whatsoever to leaving you into a public school beyond kindergarten. And it turned out that kindergarten turned out to be quite a trial for you. <clears throat> I ended up having a forever to down, scarred. Thanks, Dad. <clears throat> I had to go down to the, the, to the teacher and, and talk to her about what truth was and uh, you know, we had. Uh, I remember it, sitting outside the classroom, yeah, uh, because they were teaching what was it, self esteem, self esteem, uh, subject matter in the classroom, and you had had a conversation with the teacher, and so fine, you don't have to do it. Um, so I got to sit out by myself, um, uh, on the sidewalk outside the class while the, that, that part of the, of the school day was going on. That was interesting. They were really interested in your self-esteem sitting yeah. there by yourself. So, so put, yeah, put me out by myself. <laughs> uh, and, and I will say that I've been in two uh, fights in my uh, growing up days. One of them was in kindergarten. <laughs> I thought it was just that's just hilarious. But anyway, so public kinder, kindergarten, and then uh, and then we put you in a private, Christ, a private Christian school, and I think you were in the third grade. I think, um, and or going into third grade and. Jimmy, now he was uh, ready for school, and we quickly came to the realization that well, I didn't make enough money to, to <laughs> for this commitment. Um, but it was a commitment, and we we would do whatever we had to to give you a Christian education. That was just uh, this is what that was just our commitment, and so. Um, we just so happened in our church, there was a lady who was starting a homeschool, and she talked to us and convinced us into uh, going that route. And I just thought that was from the Lord and the answer that, uh, that I, was, I was looking for. And uh, so uh, we started in homeschool in a time when it wasn't legal. Um, there was, um, in San Bernardino County, there was parents that... Uh, were getting arrested and their kids were getting pulled out of the house and we were in Riverside County and um, that was fortunate because 
um, the the area was growing as fast as Boise is now, and it was growing so fast that the public schools couldn't keep up, and so they weren't concerned that they were missing a few students, and so we were not harassed at all in homeschool, but we were keeping an eye on the the legal um, environment. And particularly, there was a big battle going on in Idaho at that time for home schools. And to learn later on, I uh, found out that it was the Shippey family who was involved in this big battle up in Idaho um, for, to, for the right to, to homeschool your kids. They won, and that immediately had repercussions to us. In all over the country, and particularly in, in California, <clears throat> all of a sudden it was a, a safe environment to, to homeschool in. And so we were extremely grateful for what uh, had happened up there and, and impacted by what happened here in Idaho during that time. And so we continued to homeschool then, and uh, we homeschooled for, I, I think, uh, for. 20 years, I think, total with all the kids um, homeschooling. And that certainly was a, uh, a blessing to our family. Uh, we grew in our love for uh, each other. And you brothers were classmates. And I also had to learn how to be your best friends. And that was... That was uh, Good time, yeah. Well, I think that that value uh, is is so important. Uh, I I just had an opportunity to uh, do some premarital counseling. We've, as many of you know, we've got a lot of weddings uh, in our church, which is just a a great thing. And one of the things I talk about in my uh, time of, of premarital counseling is to speak about um, the the need to 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 talk with each other and to communicate and to establish. Um, your values, your commitments, and your convictions, and to me that that, that speaks to um, to you, Dad, in terms of your background and how you had developed those over time. As many of them developed from your own upbringing, from being raised in a Christian home, and the influences that 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 were um, had in your life that you developed. Uh, commitments and convictions that were based on your values that you you had determined that it was extremely important and we were going to do whatever it takes to give our children a Christian worldview education because we were not just going to turn them over to the state to be educated. And uh, I think that's an important one. I think um, I, I think if that was the attitude and position of the Christian church, and if that was led by by pastors and elders and church leaders, uh, over the the last number of decades, uh, things could have been very very different. And what we see a lot today, of course, and Vody Bakum is one of the clear voices on this. That uh, it's it, we ought not to be that surprised that when we send our children to Caesar to be educated, they come home as Romans. Uh, the, the goal of education is discipleship in the truth, and in to be given a worldview um, that is established from the scriptures and and grounded in the in a relationship with the local church, so as to be um, so as to be something that is is passed on from generation to generation, that they have the that, that people have the tools and the the way to look at the world that they might serve and honor Christ in in their lives, and then to, and then again to pass that on. And so, uh, just a reminder: the value. Uh, what are your values? You need to know what those are, and you need to develop those, and they need to come from the Scripture, and you need to be. Um, you know, and uh, I'll, I'll share this with our listening audience. Um, one of the um, elements of an invitation for a wedding came to the Berg family, and in the invitation, there's an opportunity for a response. Uh, any wisdom or anything you would like to share with the with the couple, and the Bergs um, replied, "Church." One word. Church and so I had the and they they, they shared that with me uh, the other night and so I asked them what do you think is meant by that because it's a loaded word as a as a piece of advice and so the point is 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 it's about commitment based on values that it that is a um, 
that that is developed into a conviction and and so i got to ask them what does that mean and what do you what does that mean that you should be considering for your life as you're starting out as a married couple and the Bergs are clearly trying to communicate to you that the church is to be a central part of your lives. So uh, I'm talking a little bit more here. Where I know our podcast is going a little bit longer today. Jim, you want to add something to that? Well, no, I mean, I, what I take out of all of Mark's talking about is is back to that biblical worldview is so important. And we talked about multi-generational at our church. And so there's there's experience. There's experience in older people. And then there's experiences. So, you know, Mark sent his kids into school and he saw a science teacher that wasn't open to observation. Like he experienced that. And as a younger generation, you don't necessarily have to go over all the things that we've learned. You can take that experience of older people and apply them to your lives and your walk. And so that's so important that you talk to the older generation and hear the things that we learned and the things that we've seen God do through that. And so experience has two pieces to it. One is you can actually experience it as a science teacher that's not open to observation. The other thing you can do is you can talk to Mark about it and learn from his experiences. And that's really what I want to stress to the younger generation. And that's what this format gives us an opportunity to do. That as we've gone through just your your background and your testimony, um, sports and vocation and education and the importance of all these things, uh, just like we can all say, we can we can identify the hand of providence working through all of the circumstances to bring you uh, to where you are today, and to be a deacon at our church, um, to be uh, our our piano uh, primary piano player, and to be um, uh, a a grandfather, and to have something to say and and experiences to to share, and we'll get into that in some further episodes. Um, uh, we want to have further conversations um, in relationship to. Uh, I think everybody was may, perhaps maybe even hoping to hear. A conversation about music today, and uh, we we definitely want to have that. We need to have uh, more conversations about music. You have a lot of things that you've learned and things that that you've grown into uh, to value and to have conviction in, and uh, and things that I think we would be uh, remiss if we were not considerate of how we can learn these lessons from the past, from history, from the way that God has brought you from uh, someone who grew up in the '60s and '70s. And, and then and and then raised a family in the 80s and 90s and 2000s and to to be able to say um i i've been in the church my whole life and i've i've seen a lot of things we, we have a lot of more conversation to have here back to that experience I, I go back to we don't have to learn these lessons by making bad decisions and changing later we can take the experience and apply it to what we're doing one pastor, and that's a whole episode yeah totally i remember I, I used the phrase because i learned it from another pastor we don't pretend that we're the first people to read our bibles right. um so we don't pretend that we are inventing something new that we stand on the shoulders of of giants uh, pastor manny talked about that as well the importance of history and and as we learn those things and as we understand uh, church history, and as we understand uh, the wisdom that God has given to uh, uh, to many, we want to to listen, and we want to think about, and we want to um, uh, live in such a way that we honor those things, and that we seek to honor the Lord in the way in which we operate. So we're going to get into that. We we don't have time to push your other buttons, Dad. Um, uh, we we had intended to do that, but we uh, we we're grateful for the time that you've given us today, and uh, we 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 appreciate that. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's all of the time for truth that we have today. Uh, we thank you for joining us. And in the meantime, we hope that you will grow in your love and your service to the church um, as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth. Mm -hmm.